0: Welcome to the Search the Scriptures podcast where we dive into scripture and provide the explanation of it in the most accurate light that we can. Search the Scriptures is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the Christian, challenging our brothers and sisters along with ourselves to see if we have set aside the commands of God to set up our own traditions. To do this, we use scripture to explain scripture. Please join us on this journey.
1: Thank you for joining another Thursday here with us. And we are going to conclude a little bit of a shorter one today. We are going to conclude our study of chapter nine in the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans. And uh, we'll pick it up in next time on chapter 10. Um, I did not want to cross chapters because I don't want to leave um, any studies kind of halfway through or, or not cover an entire a portion of scripture or a concept. So let's just we're gonna wrap up chapter nine today. If you recall in the last um couple of studies or a few studies actually, we've been focusing our our attention on God's sovereignty and God's authority and ability to choose and the fact that he actually does choose um and he's basically so sovereign over all things. Like we, we have seen how God chooses to show mercy on whom does he choose to show mercy how he chooses to display his power How he actually chooses to withhold His wrath and his judgment even though he could execute judgment immediately if he wanted to so all of these things point out to the fact that God makes choices um, it's not it, it is not foreign uh, to scripture It's not something that we need to doubt or is not something that is very hard to grasp or understand because the scripture tells us tells us plainly that god does these things right he has the authority why because he is god he is the potter he is the one who has all right over the clay over his creation i mean if you want to if you want to talk about god making choices we can go all the way to the beginning he chose to create He was already there. He was already self-sufficient. He was already self-existent. He didn't need anyone or anything, but he chooses to create. He chooses to create in a period of six days because he was active for six days and then rests on the seventh. He chooses to rest on the seventh day. Why? Because he's God and he chose it that way, right? Then he sets an example of rest in the Sabbath, etc., And he chooses a specific order. He chooses to make man in his own image. He chooses to make man the object of his love. He chooses to make man over the angels. He chooses to make man to have dominion over creation, right, over the animals, over the plants. And, And he chooses to make man the one that will keep the garden. I mean, we see God all over Scripture making choices. He chooses to establish a covenant with man. He chooses to um, to establish a covenant with Abraham, with Moses. And we have a new covenant, right? So God is consistently over and over and over making choices out of his own will. He chose Mary to carry Jesus. He chose Joseph to be the earthly fatherly figure. Right, he chooses David to be king and out of his lineage to come the Messiah. So when we see these things, it should be obvious. It should and, and not just obvious, really the word that I'm looking for, it should be easy for us to understand and accept this. That's that's the correct word. To accept because I don't think the problem is understanding, it's more of a, of a acceptance, the issue to accept that God makes decisions. He makes decisions and that's what happens because he is God and he has the power to execute those decisions, right? So when we went over things like choosing us, instead of us choosing him, choosing us before the foundation of the world, hardening some, showing his mercy to some, right? All of these things is just another example of the same thing that we've been seeing all throughout history, the Lord. Of hosts the Lord of creation the Lord of the universe the king of kings making decisions and making choices right out of his authority of being the supreme God and the only God and here we see in the final portions of of this chapter and I'm going to pick it up in verse 23 where it says and he did though we did go over this again I just want to pick up the context again And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. And we already talked last time, right, about some being vessels of destruction, some being vessels of mercy, right? Because not all will be saved. Some will have his mercy displayed and given to them because they will be saved, right? And why are we saved? How are we saved? Because of God's mercy. Because of His grace, right? Not of our own accord, not of anything that we deserve or we did, not of our own merit, right? Paul has been driving home that point since chapter one, that there is absolutely nothing inherently of us, about us, that makes us to be any in any way, shape or form deserving of salvation, deserving of entitled to God's mercy or God's grace. In fact, it's completely the opposite, right? When we truly see our sinful nature and the things that we actually do and how we consistently reject the Lord and how we consistently do not believe or trust in Him, right? And and this has been happening since the beginning. Literally, when I say the beginning, it's not a figure of speech. It's literally, literally since the beginning, since the first man and woman. And it says, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, um, verse 24, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. And now Paul is going to do something that he does consistently and he does in other portions of his epistles. He's going to quote Old Testament, right? And he says, also in Hosea. I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. Verse 26. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now I want us to actually go To these scriptures right we know that he's quoting from Hosea he's actually specifically saying it right there but if we go to Hosea chapter 1 we can go there Hosea Hosea chapter 1 and we're gonna see verses 9 and 10 all right and it says and the Lord said Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. It is right. We we can see it here, right? We can see that God is, I'm sorry, that Paul is quoting Old Testament, right? And we see here from the beginning the fact that, in spite of the waywardness of Israel, of Israel's tendency to deviate from the Lord and to ignore the Lord. God still preserves a remnant for himself. Because he's already speaking towards the future. In this case, we saw we saw Paul, right? We saw Paul in New Testament times quoting back to Hosea because he's making a point, which we're gonna see what his point is in a little bit. But he's making a point and he's quoting the prophets and he's quoting Hosea. But when we go to the book of Hosea, when this is actually being written in real time, right? Or in present time. We see God at the moment that he is basically disinheriting in a way or, or literally, yeah, disinheriting because he's saying, you are not my people. Even then, he is still saying that he is, there's going to be a time that he will call them his people. There will be a time of restoration, right? There will be a time in the future of redemption. He is already choosing, already in the moment. Just imagine this, right? Us as human beings, it is really hard for us to grasp or to be able to multitask in being angry and merciful at the same time. I mean, say what you say, it is hard. It is very hard for us as human beings to be very, very angry, arguing with somebody or very extremely angry towards somebody. And at the very same time, showing love and mercy to them is hard. But God is actually displaying this right now. And he is saying that, right? And and why is it? Because he chooses, right? Because no matter what they do or they did or will do, he himself still chooses to show his mercy in a certain way, in the way that he wants to. And it goes back to the same words that he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He chooses to do those things. And Paul is quoting this because he is going to show us here in a second, why is it exactly that some men do not receive this mercy, right? So, quoting from Hosea, speaking towards the ultimate restoration of Israel to God, right? But Paul's emphasis is the fact that in order for it to be a restoration, there has to be what first? There has to be something broken. There has to be an alienation from God. There has to be a separation first. And this separation comes from unbelief It comes from unbelief and it comes from disobedience. This is consistent. I mean, if if there's something that man has been consistent in, in doing, it is disobeying God. And we see it in Old Testament times and we see it in New Testament times. But when do we see in New Testament time all over? But when is it clearly marked when Jesus came? When the Messiah came? And he was completely rejected by his own people and they did not receive him. They did not believe in him and they murdered him. So this is consistent with what man has been doing from Old Testament times. Right. And this, this has already been prophesied and we're going to see, we're going to see Paul here use another um, quote in a second. 27 Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. So that's verse 27 in Roman. Let's take a look at Isaiah, and we're going to go to chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter 10, chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. 10, 22. All right. And it says, for though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea. What does that mean? Right? That's, that's imagery that's being used right? How, well, how is the sand of the sea? It's can't a count it. What was that?
0: You can't count it.
1: Exactly. Right? It is vast, right? It is a multitude. You can't count it, right? It is a lot. Right? That's that's the kind of imagery that's this that's what this represents. So he's saying, though they are many, right? Being compared to the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined overflowing with righteousness. Verse 23 in uh, Isaiah, for a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord God of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. So you see the concept or the reality, the truth, because it's truth, everything in the word of God is truth. Period. He is truth. It's the only thing that comes out of him. He says himself that he's not a man, he should lie. So the truth of the fact that only a remnant, the reality that not everybody will be saved, is not presented to us for the first time in Romans. It's not something new that Paul is teaching. So in order for us, to some of us, and I speak in general terms, right, I'm not referring to anybody individually specifically, but in general, in order for some to go and take the parts of Scripture that we do not like, that does not fit with how I want to believe God is or what I want to believe about God, And then call it and say, use the excuse or justification that, oh, that is Paul's gospel. Or that is Paul's doctrine, not God, right? That is Paul. That's a new teaching that Paul is bringing. And Paul is just a man, just like any other. Because these are the kind of things that are said. Whenever Paul brings these hard sometimes hard to understand or especially hard to accept doctrines a lot of the reaction is that is well that's paul who said that did jesus say that no he didn't right that was paul and then this this, this distinguished right, this distinction that people make between them when there isn't any because the entire scripture the entire scripture is god breathed it is given by the holy spirit is given by god himself And all scripture is profitable, right? All of it, not some, it is all of it. So it is coming from God. But even if we were to stick to human terms and try to entertain that argument, well, Paul was not the first one to bring it up. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul in Old Testament times. And we have Isaiah speaking of these things where there is only a remnant. Not all will be saved. There's only a a percentage, you can say, or that will be reserved that will actually receive the mercy, right? So let's head back to Romans. And I want us to understand and see that in Isaiah's time, and what was happening in that time, right, There was he was prophesying specifically, and he was prophesying about the how, how the southern kingdom of Judah was going to be conquered, and they were going to be scattered, right? And, and we're not going to go into all of that, right, because we're not going over Isaiah right now, but we can do that in a, in a study of Isaiah, and I believe um, Savoy well, we might have done that already. And in those times, there is this prophecy about how the kingdom of Judah, of course, because of the same thing, disobedient, unbelief, etc cetera, we fill in the blanks, right? The kingdom of Judah was going to be conquered and they were going to be scattered temporarily, right? Rejected by God as judgment, as a temporal judgment executed over them, right? Because of their unbelief. And this is only a preview of what's to come, because we saw the rejection of God that was ultimately going to culminate in their absolute rejection of God by rejecting His own Son, by rejecting the Messiah. And after that, what came? More destruction, more scattering of Israel, right? Because that's, that is what came to the Jews after the crucifixion of Christ, right? We're not talking about the church. We're not talking about the Jews who became the church and the foundation of the church, and then went out to the Gentiles. We're talking about the church. I'm talking about the Jews in general. It was destruction. It was scattering. So we see the same result that we are seeing from old Testament times due to their unbelief and rejection of the Lord. So going, picking up what Paul is saying here again on says. Verse twenty-eight: For the Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly, and just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabbath has left to left, sorry, to us a posterity, we will have become like Sodom and will have resembled Gomorrah. And Lord of Sabbath, this is an Old Testament title. And is actually translated Lord of Hosts. This is a reference to God's all-encompassing, all-sweeping, absolute sovereignty. To the fact that there is absolutely no hierarchy over Him. There is no hierarchy with Him in the sense of there is no rank there is nothing, there is nobody over or equal to God. He is the absolute. Everything else comes after, comes under. It is lower, right? So this is the title to refers to that majesty of the Lord. And what he's saying is that the only reason that the remnant, it's not going to become like Sodom and Gomorrah, which we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We know know that passage in Scripture and what happens to the, the judgment and the fire that came because of their sin, right? The only reason that the remnant, that we don't end up the same way, it is because of God's mercy. And because of the fact that He chooses to give, Us that mercy, though he is justified in giving us judgment. Because the due penalty of sin is what we actually deserve. Remember that we went over the entirety of the plan of salvation and the entirety of how all of that works. And how the sacrifice of the Messiah works and justification works and the imputation of Jesus' righteousness in ours and how it is God's righteousness in us. There is no righteousness of our own at all and how we receive it through faith, by faith, not by words that we cannot boast. We saw all of that because Paul literally made it, he gave it to us step by step by step and he broke it down perfectly, right, throughout Romans. But all of this, all of this is because of his mercy. That he was justified and he is justified to give us death in hell. He is justified in doing the things that he's capable of doing. How scripture tells us that do not fear man, right? Don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. He has that ability and, in fact, is what we deserve and, in fact, is what He should have done in the sense of that is what was due for what we did. But because He chooses, because of the very same thing that sometimes we have problems with, because sometimes we have problems with God choosing, because of the fact that He chooses, He chooses to show mercy. And He chooses... To them, not only show mercy, show mercy in an extreme way, show us love in an extreme way, I mean, the very definition of agape love, this irresistible, all-encompassing, uncomprehensible love that he shows us, that he himself lowers himself, humiliates himself, makes himself lower than the angels becomes man live like a man and they allow his own creation to abuse him to make fun of him to insult him and then to kill him why because he chooses so you see we can't cherry pick right we can't pick and choose what we agree with and what we don't agree with we can't say oh i'm okay with god choosing and i am okay with the fact that he chooses when it benefits me, when it has to do with his love and when it has to do with his mercy. But then when it is something that I don't like or that I don't agree, then I have a problem with that. And I have to say that it's Paul's fault because that's Paul's doctrine. You see, it doesn't work that way. And when we start truly seeing these things for what it is, it starts becoming easier to just accept it. Not because somebody's trying to convince us, not because it's a debate, because it's not. Again, he is sovereign. He is the sovereign one, there is no debate. I mean, tell me, I argue for a living. That's part of, it's literally in my job description. I cannot pretend to go before God, stand face to face, and argue a case and argue with him and make a point that doesn't exist. It's not allowed. And that's the po- that, that's the point that Paul was making when he was saying, well, who are you? When when, when the question comes, how is it that he still finds fault if he if he is sovereign over everything and he chooses and he he completely stops you. He doesn't even bother with giving you an answer that you're going to like. He just says, who are you? Who are you to think that you have a right over the pot? How is it? in, In what logic does the clay tells the potter what to do when the potter has the right over his creation? Right? That's literally the answer that Paul gave us. He he, he didn't even bother. Like, if, if you notice back in the chapter when he presents the question or the objection, because that's the objection. How do he still find fault then? He doesn't even bother giving you an answer. He doesn't even entertain your objection, our objection. He immediately just says, Who are you? to question. That's it. That's the answer. That's the solution. That's what he said. I think I, I heard a hand.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that it reminds me of um, when uh, it was Job, you know, mm-hmm. Job was saying if I can only take him to court, basically, he was just saying that over and over, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then when God shows up, the one the first thing he says is, who is this that obscures <laughs> my counsel? with ignorance like, see, this guy knows nothing about me talking about me you know and so and that was what paul's baby saying like who are you like who are you to talk back to him
1: exactly exactly i mean that's that's exactly it and we thank you for bringing that um Savoy is we see that example with job and 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 we all know who job is right we see an amazing example of perseverance through everything, through adversity, through literally being put through a hell on earth in a sense, because he literally, like, Job could have actually said what a lot of Christians like to say and blame the devil for everything, right? Sometimes we love to go about around saying, the devil did this to me today, the devil did this, and not today, Satan, and everything that moves, all of a sudden we blame the devil, because it. It's easier that way instead of accepting responsibility for our own evil. I mean, Job could have literally said the devil is upon me and is afflicting me because that is exactly what happened where Satan himself went to God and God himself allowed him to directly go and touch Job other than take his life. Right. And through that, even through having the adversary himself on him, taking everything away from him, killing his family, he still remained faithful to God, right? Those, those, those famous, that famous saying of those famous verses, the Lord gives, the Lord take it away. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him that's that's who job is right and, and such a beautiful thing I mean it's, it's an honor to be able to read and this is an honor I, I'm saying an honor towards job is' an honor for humanity to be able to read in God's word how God himself trusted and believed so much in his servant that he literally told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That he himself knew that Job was gonna be faithful. And the reason why I'm giving this little brief recap on Job is because even though that's who Job is, he still could not pretend to know everything about God, question God in any way, and God still put him in his place. And I think I heard another hit.
2: Well, that was me. There is something, um, I, I think it's in Job 2, but I'm not sure. And it, I, I believe it is, though. And he asks, should we only accept good things from God? Because if we're serving God because he's God, not because of what he gives us, it is kind of hard, like you said, to kind of change your perspective. Because I, I don't really say it, but I know that a lot of people do just blame the devil or blame but sometimes it's just you reap what you sow sometimes it's just a test i mean you just really don't know yeah. but what i really love about job is that god never said he wasn't blameless when he was talking to him yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say you know you deserve this like <laughs> this what you he just because it wasn't really about job you know it wasn't really about his character even though that's how the lord brought it up in conversation with the enemy it Anything that Job had inside of him in his spirit and his heart, you know, blamelessness, whatever, it's only because God put it there. It's still only about God. So Amen. I love that when even when he's recanting and he's talking to Job, he doesn't even make it about Job's character or Job being right or wrong. He makes it about himself because it really is still about himself. I just love that about Job. That's all I had to say.
1: Amen. Thank you for that comment, Deja. Absolutely. And is that is absolutely consistent with what Paul discusses and details all through Romans, then in the entirety plan of salvation, in the entirety of human history, absolutely everything circles back to God and it glorifies God in one way or another. How he literally designs everything to take away all the opportunities for men to take credit for themselves and boast in themselves. He takes it away. It absolutely all goes back to God. And Subway, I think I heard
0: your hand. Uh, yeah, I was going to show, uh, actually, I got it here. where she was reading from was actually, is just referencing from Job 2.10 and it says in NAS, NASB, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So adversity, or even some translation would say evil. Yeah. uh But I find it really nice that it says here right after he says this that he didn't sin by saying that saying that both comes from his hands and uh and when he said that he didn't sin he, he was right in saying that what you got Daisy?
2: i was gonna say also when it comes to the old testament and i don't not characters but you know brothers and sisters in the old testament we get to a lot of times see their story right like we get to see Thank you. They're training. We get to see, okay, if, you know, Daniel's over here and now he's over here, but he had to do this, 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 and this first. I love that with Job, we don't really see what was going on with Job, how God maybe could have trained him or put him in the mindset that he had. We just see him. He was really blessed. And he really wasn't. And then he really was like, I love it. We don't see, you know, I killed a lion and I did. And it's just, it's beautiful because I feel like it's another way of God showing us that there's different even avenues with other people. Cause that really does. I really am thinking about that, how anything that we have to give God like a gift or our character, our, our transformation, it's only because he put it there. It's only because, I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. He allowed it. He chose it, whatever the case may be. So he had to, however he did it already put it in Job and be so pleased with himself, with what he put in Joe, man, have you have you seen Joe? Like, wow, look, you ain't thought about Joe? <laughs> <Like>, it's just <laughs> so beautiful that that he would do something like that. And I, I'm like I said, we don't really know what his training was, or maybe what he had gone through before anything. It's just like you said, you know, the sovereignty of God, just the way that He chooses to do things. I just, I just love it. I really do.
1: amen man, and that's just a it's that's just a great place to be, a beautiful place to be, Deja. Not only when not only when you accept these things or accept God's sovereignty in the way he does things but the fact that you take pleasure in it in the sense that you love it right that's 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 truly a blessed place to be so I'm really I mean praise God for that because that is God also right I um, putting that in us because these are things that is very are very hard for us in our humanity to accept all right so going back to Romans 9. All right, and then we'll take the last few verses here. Verse 30, 30th, 30th. what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attain righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? right you need answer a question. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though they were by works. Remember that the entirety of Romans is one epistle, right? We went over this before where even though we have it now divided in chapters, this is one entire letter. Paul wrote one continuous letter from the first, Word to the very last. It is a continuous thought. And he has been talking about this exact same thing throughout the previous chapters and throughout the previous portions, right? And he has been talking about the fact that everything is by faith. The way that we attain righteousness, which is not our righteousness to begin with, it's the righteousness of God through his son, right? In Jesus Christ, it is by imputation. The fact that His righteousness is imputed in us and we receive that by faith. There was absolutely no way that we could work towards that. There's nothing that we can offer God in the way of works because we can't measure up. We don't have it in us. The evil in us does not allow us to. We cannot fulfill the law. We weren't able to. So he's again bringing that same, the exact same point back. How is it that Gentiles... How is it that they attained righteousness when they were not pursuing it? Well, by faith. Because even though the Jews were actively, quote unquote, right? Actively pursuing righteousness under a written law, they didn't attain it because they didn't do it by faith. They saw it as though it was by works and something to boast on. And I think I heard her hand.
2: Yes, I had a question. I hope Savoy can maybe pull up the scripture I'm talking about, where um somebody and, and I haven't read it myself. I've just heard it over the years. Accepts, or is is it seems is given the promise of eternal life as when Jesus is on the cross. Do you know who, what I'm talking about? He's like one of the other people that was. um
0: One of the uh, one of the other thieves. The thieves.
2: Yes. Because I something as I was because I'm in my physical text and reading a little ahead as we've been on here. <laughs> um, and so I had been reading this section over and over because I don't know if other people, you know, feel this that maybe will come across this podcast. But sometimes it's not that I am, um, you know, indulging in sin or anything. But if I feel like I'm not doing enough and, it, and sometimes I know it's the Holy Spirit just telling you to spend more time with with the Lord. Yeah. But if I feel like I'm not I don't know what I would need to be doing, but I just feel like I'm not doing it. I start to feel far from God. And I know that's not really the case. It's, it's more of a, you know, the way you're perceiving it. And so I was reading this over and over. And like, and like it says, you know, the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, it, like you said, they, they've attained it. And it's just so it's weird to me because I, I've, i I kind of feel like it's supposed to be a balance, right? It's supposed to be, you work a little and then you have faith, but the reality is the faith is the foundation. And then everything that comes from that should be born from the faith. Everything that you're doing, you know, in the Lord and the way He is changing you should be from the faith, it is how I believe it really is supposed to be. But I don't know why that that's um that individual came to mind. So I was wondering if Savoy could or somebody could pull it up and and maybe read on that. Um, because I've not read it for myself or know where it is, but I, I feel like it might apply to what we're discussing here.
1: Yeah. Um so boy, I don't remember the exact scripture but it's one in the is one on the uh, later chapters of Matthew and I think Luke has it too um, and yeah, Mark
0: and Mark has it also yeah um, but well, i have it here uh, it says I'm going from Luke 23 39 it says one of the criminals who were hanged uh, there with uh, was hurling abuse at him saying are you not the Christ save yourself and us but the other answer to him re- in re- 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 rebuking him said do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Uh, I do want to bring up that one of the Gospels point out that this man also was was joining in with the other uh,
1: he was initially insulting jesus with the other
0: and then at some point miraculously while he was on the cross jesus on the cross he came and got him he's basically saying hey you think you're a goat but you're actually one of my sheep and uh and and he miraculously changed right there on that cross which i find is just amazing in of itself
1: it is truly amazing Mm -hmm. because it is literally an example like I mean, I can't find a better example because we see a man that, according to the little bit of that scripture tells us or gives us about him, it just basically implies that he this is a man that has lived an entire life of sin. Right? He he is he is a criminal who is being put to death for his crimes, and that is his life, and that's what the word allows us to know about him. And this was to the very end because this is at the moment of execution. And even at the moment of execution, he is still showing his sinful nature. Because like Savoy said, one of the other gospels, I think it might have been Mark or Matthew, it tells us that both of them, he was still insulting Jesus initially there at the cross. And then miraculously, because that's not a, that's not an overstatement. That's not an exaggeration. That is exactly what we see there. There is a miracle that happens right then and there where God literally does what Scripture teaches us. And when it tells us that the Lord himself, God, grants us repentance. And at that moment, God granted this man repentance, where he comes to the realization by God alone that Jesus is innocent and that he needs to trust in him for salvation, because that is what is exhibited in his words when he says, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He is recognizing that he is a king. He is recognizing that he is who he says he is. And he is asking in that moment
2: for forgiveness. And I got a hand. I was going to say, I agree with Veronica. <laughs> but I was going to say um something else that, that and I know we'll, we'll probably be getting more into it next week. But it's just the beautiful thing about How it's talking about your faith is really, and it's just hard to for us to wrap our minds around because everything that we do here in the physical is, you know, work and then result, cause and effect, and so it's just so hard sometimes to fathom something that you don't, you didn't cause, and still has an effect. It's just really weird. But what I was gonna say is, um, I know it says as uh, that scripture says that when you confess with your mouth, right, that the that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And it's funny how there really wasn't any work. And that's what I was saying a second ago. There really wasn't any work that he did. You know, he didn't go out and go evangelize and go out and, you know, pray for people, heal people, but he made the statement of faith and that statement could be considered work, but it came from like, like we just discussed some type of miraculous change in his heart posture from the Lord, because he didn't really, he didn't get off of where he was and go do things for the kingdom of God. But he just made that statement of acceptance and that could be considered work because he's he's professing something. You know, he's not just saying, well, maybe, possibly, but actually declaring this is what I believe. Please remember, remember me. <laughs> don't forget me. It's just so beautiful how we really, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like you unlock a vault when you really try to process um, how nothing, how, how the word says. And I think it's either it's either Romans 9 or it's Romans 8, where it talks about nothing can keep us, mm-hmm. you know, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8... And I I was looking at that list earlier when we were first starting uh, tonight's Bible study, just trying to, you know, recap and see where we were. And I realized that the Holy Spirit was showing me if any of these things could keep you from my love, if any of them could, Jesus would have died for us. He literally had to conquer all of these things. I don't know if that's the right word, but all of these things were not wanting him to die for us is the best way to put it so if any of these things could they would have but they can't and it's just so beautiful to see you know even in this like you said in this scenario where he he didn't really do he couldn't do any work at this point this is the it, the last stretch and for some people because of god's sovereignty for some people i mean that could be the case i saw something about that the other day somebody was on their you know their last leg and said oh i, I shouldn't have done this and i i don't know what God, what god's response will be but we just know that his grace is sufficient, but it's just his sovereignty of how he chooses it for certain people. You know, some people it's going to be in the beginning of their lives or something. Like, I mean, this is the last couple. I mean, He's said money is kind of close. Like, it's just crazy to see the way that God ordains things. And then so that we can even go back. Because, I mean, this could have not been in scripture at all, but it's just so that we can go back and discuss and really see just the true. Depth of his grace It's
0: just I don't know y'all It's just that. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I, I would say that In a very strange way He's at the very end But at the, in a very strange way He did a small work Or maybe it's a great work And then he rebuked the other guy Uh, And that's at the very end of his life Now if that's considered a work or not I don't know But that's at the very end And Jesus is like that'll do <laughs> you could. You know, <laughs> that's just way after he lived his whole entire life the way he left the way he lived it at some point and this is all god because god calls him to come to this realization god calls as as alberto said god is the one who actually enabled him to even be this way at this point in his life right there at the end right next to his death and he and he rebukes the other the other guy i just thought that was interesting the little detail that's in there Um,
2: sorry y'all it makes me wonder and i won't say easy because that's not the right word maybe because god has already chosen us and and predestined us to accept him as our lord because but for some people it genuinely is not easy for them to accept jesus not easy for them to accept you know like, like like you were just talking about for humans to just accept okay this is god he does what he wants i just need to get with it it's just really hard to accept it but it makes me wonder how hard, and that's just one of those things that might be a question for God. How hard it is, because He does talk about blotting names out of the book of life. That means it was written, and something happened, and it's getting blotted out. And it just makes me wonder how hard could that be? Not, not that we want to, you know, go there or, or do that. But I don't want to say it was easy for for Him to accept, because I don't know what the Lord did in, in this person's heart posture. But for us, you know, at this, at this time everybody on here I'm, I'm assuming has accepted jesus christ as their lord and savior how hard it would be to reverse that you know and i think that's what when we're looking at the end of, of chapter nine and we're looking at words in the stumbling block and it's like there it seems like there's just such a thin line and I, I i really do know that god is just and he looks at our hearts but at the end of the day he she's gonna choose what he wants to choose but There must be, do y'all understand what I'm saying? Like a thin line, like what I'm trying to get at, I'm getting overwhelmed. But from my perspective, I look at it and I I always, uh, you know, of course, I always take this to God first. But I'm very young and I know that for whatever reason he's chosen to, for whatever reason, put my heart on him, on himself at a young age. And I wonder and pray, how will I keep that? Consistent, you know. How do I keep from, you know? There's people, I, even recently that I've met that have said I spent 20 years from God. I'm like, I'm only 22. How did you do that? It's just so. It, it just makes us. It makes me wonder how. What is that fine line, you know, where it's not really your works, is it? Just your character, is it? Just your lifestyle. I just. I hope that what I'm saying is making sense, y'all. I'm gonna stop now, but I hope that y'all understand what I'm trying to. What I'm trying to get at here.
1: Yeah, it, it, what you're trying to say is all. It all makes sense because. In one way or another, we've all been there and we see that exhibited in our lives in some manner. And we actually see that in scripture as well. And the key, the key about faith and receiving justification by faith. That's where it, that's where it is. That that's actually the starting point, whether you receive that, whether you did receive that at the end of the at the very end of your life, like this man did in the cross, right? where then he didn't have the chance to later on go and exhibit on an earthly manner, the fruit of his salvation and justification, which is the works, the good works that follow. He didn't have the chance to do that, but it doesn't revoke the fact that justification in itself, salvation, receiving grace, receiving mercy, and receiving Christ's um, justification and being saved and being born again, that in itself has nothing to do with us and there is absolutely no work from us at all involved in that is all of god who grants it right so that part absolutely a hundred percent by faith no work required no work allowed actually right because god doesn't allow you to be able to take credit for any part of it but then after that and and you're, and there are other personal scriptures right that that focus on these things and paul himself speaks in other epistles as well about these things. And we also see it in the book of James too, right? Where we start talking about faith being death without works, et cetera, where it has nothing to do with works being related to your salvation in the sense of that you need it, or it's a requirement in order to get saved, but it is a result that follows. So what you just said, a conditional statement, meaning cause and effect, that's exactly what happens with salvation. Once you get saved, good works must follow. They must follow because in, because it is inherently in your new nature. Now your new nature, your new man, as Paul describes it in other chapters, wants to, is willing, right? The Bible tells us that the spirit is willing. It's the flesh that is weak. But the spirit is willing. The new inner you wants to obey God, wants to serve God and the good works will follow that's also how galatians shows that we can judge the fruit and judge them by their fruit because there has to be not because it's a requirement to be saved but because of the fact that they are saved that will happen because it, it just needs to happen because it is your new nature right so that's where so when you talk about the balancing as far as that there there is some work in, absolutely there is work involved absolutely there is walking work involved because now we are empowered to be able to obey Jesus, whereas before we were slaves to sin, we couldn't. Even if we tried, we couldn't obey Jesus. That's what, how we truly are free. And how the Bible tells that we are no longer slaves is literally because of that. We're not slave. We're not bound to our mass, prior master who was sin. Now we can obey Christ. The work comes now after we've been saved, right? But now we can't be separated from God. We cannot the shepherd will not lose one of us, not will not lose one sheep. We will hear his voice, we will come back, right? We we are going to be with him. So, again, yes, I mean when it comes to salvation, absolutely by faith, but the works absolutely follow. It's sometimes hard for us as humans when we start mixing and we start feeling that conviction, and sometimes even condemnation if we don't, if we're not careful of feeling that somehow we are questioning and we lose the we lose the joy in the assurance of our salvation because we're not measuring up in a way when we are when we are ourselves right measuring our works so boy
0: amen I, i'm gonna piggyback on that uh so as as alberto was saying quoting scripture that there is nothing that can sell, that, that can separate us from his love nothing nothing can right including according to first john 3 i'll pull this up uh first john 3 uh verse 19 it says this is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence even if our conscience condemns us that god that god is greater than our conscience and he knows all things so even if our own conscience condemns us that's still not enough to separate us from the love of God. And that's what many Christians, myself included, uh, can go through throughout this walk. We get this, this condemnation, but it's actually our conscience that is doing it. And God is greater than, than our own conscience.
1: Amen. Amen.
2: Wow. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Praise. Praise God. So, boy, if you can take us to John chapter 8. Uh, verse 21 I'm gonna I'm gonna go briefly over two portions in in John one in chapter 8 and one in chapter 16 so here in John chapter 8 verse 21 through 24 we see that it reads then he said again to them I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin where I am going you cannot come so the Jews were saying surely he will not kill himself Will he? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And before I, I make the point that actually Paul is making it in Romans 9 that relates to this. Let's look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16 uh, verses eight through 11. All right, this is um, where it says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because, 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 because. I'm not, not a record that just got broken, right? And is repeated. This is not a recording, it's making a point. Because, what do we use because for? To give an explanation, to give a reason. Because they do not believe in me. That's exactly the same that he said in the chapter that we just went over. And concerning, where well, he said that they will die in their sin unless they believe in me, right? Verse 10 here, And concerning righteousness is because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So going back to Romans chapter 9, Paul is concluding this lesson here, or this chapter, on God's divine choice by reminding us that although God chooses some to receive His mercy, those who get His judgment, they don't do it because it's something that God has done to them. But it is because of their own unwillingness to believe the gospel. We just saw God saying, we just saw Jesus saying, you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. Why? Not because I'm doing that to you, but because you do not believe. Because you won't believe. So man is still justifying their recompense. It is our own unwillingness to believe. And we don't have to go there, but I'm going to read um, really quick in 2 Thessalonians um, 2.10, and you can write it down. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. Again, the word, because, because. Because, it tells us, they perish. Why do they perish? Because they do not receive the love of what? The truth. They don't want the truth. They don't want Christ. They don't want to believe in Christ. He is precisely the stumbling block, right? That is about to be mentioned here. Beginning up again in, in verse 31. I'm sorry, verse 32. Why? because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumble over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who what? He who believes in him will not be disappointed. We already saw from Isaiah, there's Isaiah chapter four, I'm sorry, chapter eight, Isaiah chapter 28, we already saw long before Christ coming, the Old Testament prophets have already been prophesying, predicting that Israel will reject the Messiah. Illustrating again that the unbelief that we see exhibited in the world and that we see exhibited in the New Testament is consistent with scripture, is consistent with what God had already said. You want to write down Isaiah, just to have a reference, Isaiah 8.14 that says, Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We already knew this. Isaiah 28.16 28, 16 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am lying, laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. just to further support Paul's argument into, right? or well, not that we need to prove of anything, but proving that he's quoting Old Testament. He's not making these th- things up, right? And it is precisely because of the fact that they will not believe. So at the end of the day, God is sovereign. God chooses. God has mercy. He chooses to give mercy. He chooses to give, unto whom to give His mercy. But at the end of the day, those who are guilty are only receiving their just recompense. Why? Because they rejected God. Because they would not believe. That is the reason. Though God is sovereign, He does what He wants. And He literally told us, left and right, at the end of the day, when they get their judgment, the reason for their judgment is not God's fault. It is their own. It is because of their own lack of belief and their own rejection of Christ. And that is chapter nine. And I will open it to the floor and we will pick, out a, pick, it, up, pick it up back again on chapter 10 next week.
0: What you got out,
2: I was just going to say when you, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. When you had second Thessalonians up, um, I just kept reading. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to read it because it, I, it really, and of course it's still Paul, uh, no surprise there, um, writing, but it really drives home what we just read. And so I wanted to read, um, 10 through 16 that you said, um, and, in all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought also to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits or some manuscripts because from the beginning God chose you. Oh my gosh, it's just so beautiful. Amen. God chose you as first fruits to so be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that we see that over and over. We get to share in the glory. I just think that's awesome. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That just needs to be a prayer. <laughs> I just thought that was so. I don't know. I just thought it really did confirm what we were just, you know, discussing and reading. But it's just, I don't know. It's something about seeing that over and over. I know, um, it's like the, the, it's not like the Holy spirit really does speak through God really does speak through his word. And just to be reading that he chose us from the beginning. And it's like, he tells us at least me over and over and over. And it's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because we, I mean, just human, you know, just love, immaculate, undeserved love.
1: Amen. And even in that scripture that you just said, right, that you continue reading, we see the exact same thing that that you said that Paul just the point that he made that it is because you receive this judgment because you wouldn't believe that's really the reason and and in that scripture in 2nd Thessalonians we actually see that after the portion that says that they will not receive the truth in other words they don't want the truth they don't want to receive the truth they don't want to believe verse 11 tells you precisely It's, it's like saying because because right it says, for this reason, it is be- in other words, because you don't want to believe, God will send you upon a deluding influence, so that then you will remain believing what is false, because you will receive judgment, and God sends you that judgment. Why? Because you will not believe. So that's what I'm saying, at the end of the day, man cannot escape fault, and we we absolutely see that um, as well, just like in Romans 9.